Tonight's top stories. Putin signs law, Russia to sing old song. Gorbachev quits, Red Square to be turned into car park. And Japanese take Hong Kong, 18-day fighting spree. Plus, coming up, the national anthem will now be sung by the Russian National Ballet. Those are the headlines. Now fact my bitch up. News bang. The pulse of truth pounding the pavement of public opinion. In a move that has sent shivers down the spines of Cold War historians everywhere, Russian President Vladimir Putin has signed a law reinstating the old Soviet national anthem as the new Russian anthem. The tune, which was originally composed by Alexander Vasilyevich Alexandrov, who also wrote Ride of the Valkyries and the Birdie Song, will now be played at all official functions and sporting events. The decision has been met with mixed reactions in Russia, with some welcoming back the stirring tune and others fearing a return to Stalinist oppression. One bystander, Boris Yeltsinovich, said, I remember when we used to sing this song before every gulag shift. It filled us with pride and vodka. However, another bystander, Natasha KGB Defectorova, disagreed. This is a dark day for Russia. I mean, it's catchy and all, but it reminds me of my time in Siberia. The Kremlin has denied any suggestions that this is part of a wider plan to resurrect Joseph Stalin and create an army of undead Cossacks to take over Europe. A spokesman said, it's just a nice tune. Relax, comrade. I mean, citizen. Uh, 1991. Mikhail Gorbachev, the last president of the Soviet Union, has resigned today. The man who brought Glasnost and Perestroika to the crumbling empire was seen leaving the Kremlin with his cardboard box and a desk plant. Gorbachev, known as Gorby to his KGB chums, presided over the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of communism in Eastern Europe. His policies of openness and restructuring were popular with many but led to his downfall within the party. He is succeeded by Boris Yeltsin, who vowed to continue drinking vodka and standing on tanks. Gorbachev's resignation comes as no surprise to many analysts who point to his increasingly erratic behaviour in recent months. Last week, he was spotted in Red Square, wearing nothing but his underpants and a fur hat, dancing around Stalin's tomb singing Kumbaya. Friends say he will return to his dacha in Siberia, where he plans to write his memoirs, entitled The Man Who Loved Glasnost. A night to see Sadustil, 1941. The year was 1941, when the Japanese stormed into Hong Kong like a pack of hungry locusts on Ritalin. The governor, a man so British he had pink cheeks and a monocle, waved the white flag after 18 days of intense fighting. It was a dark day for the empire, but not as dark as the three years and eight months that followed. The Battle of Hong Kong raged on like an oriental Agincourt, with plucky Brits, Indians and Canadians standing shoulder to shoulder against the invading horde. General Mitsumoto's forces were met with stiff resistance from Major Biff Smythe's men, who fought them in the hillsides, on the beaches, and even in some rather nice colonial tea rooms. But alas, the Japs were too cunning by half, employing their secret weapon, dullness. Yes, it was a sad day for stiff upper lips everywhere as Hong Kong fell to its knees before General Yornalot's relentless tedium. But fear not, for this was not the end. 
our boys would return to reclaim what was rightfully ours, ish, eventually, ish, ish. Newsbang, a slice of truth in the heart of the matter. Here to enchant us with his meteorological prose is Shakanaka Giles, bringing us the Christmas Day weather forecast. For Christmas Day, the weather's wrapped up like a festive gift. A crisp, white blanket of snow will cover the land as if the sky has dusted the world with icing sugar. In the south, the sun will peek through the clouds, like a child sneaking a peek at their presence. The Midlands will be snug, with a gentle snowfall, perfect for building snowmen or having a snowball fight. Up north the winds will be brisk, but the warmth of the season will keep everyone cosy. In summary, a white Christmas with a sprinkle of sunshine and a dash of winter winds. So grab your scarves and gloves and enjoy the festive weather. And that's all the weather. Mikhail Gorbachev, the last president of the Soviet Union, has stepped down from his esteemed position. The man who once embraced Marxism-Leninism later veered towards social democracy, leaving an indelible mark on the annals of Soviet history. The year is 1991 and the world watches as the Iron Curtain sways in the breeze of change. And the man who led the Soviet Union from 1985 to 1991, Mikhail Gorbachev, has resigned as president of the Soviet Union. For more on this monumental shift, we turn to our reporter, Brian Bastable. And so the day of reckoning is upon us. The Soviet Union, that vast sprawling mass of land and people, is no more. As I stand here, the wind howls like a pack of wolves hungry for the flesh of the fallen. The streets are empty save for the odd stray dog whimpering in the shadows. The buildings, once proud symbols of Soviet might, now stand as hollow shells, their windows shattered, their walls defaced. The air is thick with the stench of decay as if the very soul of this place has been ripped out. And yet, amidst the chaos and destruction, there is a sense of hope. For today, the people of the Soviet Union have been given a chance to start anew. They can choose their own path, free from the shackles of communism. They can build a new future, one that is brighter and more prosperous than the past. But they must also remember the lessons of history. They must not forget the sacrifices made by those who came before them. They must not allow the mistakes of the past to be repeated. For today is not just the end of an era. It is the beginning of a new one. And it is up to the people of the Soviet Union to decide what that new era will be. Brian Bastable, Newsbang, reporting from the heart of the Soviet Union. Uh...
Inditum uh, 2009. And in a shocking incident, the year 2009 saw Umar Farooq Abdul Mutalab attempt to detonate plastic explosives concealed in his undergarments aboard Northwest Airlines Flight 2-5-3. The audacious act was attributed to the extremist group Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. American media outlets have since dubbed Abdul Mutalab the underwear bomber or Christmas Day bomber. For more on this story, we turn to our crime correspondent, Ken Shit. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourselves for a tale of terror that'll make your blood run cold. It's Christmas Day 2009, and the skies above America are about to be shattered by a force more destructive than Santa's sleigh. Omar Farouk Abdul Mutalab, a man so twisted he makes a cactus look like Mother Teresa, had a plan. A plan to bring down Northwest Airlines Flight 253 with nothing but his own two hands and a pair of explosives hidden in his underwear. This wasn't some half-baked scheme cooked up in a dark corner of the internet. This was the work of Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, ACAP, one of the most ruthless terrorist organizations on the planet. Abdul Mutalab boarded the plane like any other passenger, but inside his underwear was a deadly secret. Plastic explosives that could level an entire city block. As the plane ascended into the sky, he prepared to unleash hell on Earth. But luckily for us, Abdul Mutalab was no expert in explosives or aviation. His plan went up in smoke faster than Rudolph's nose on Christmas morning. Passengers and crew members sprang into action, subduing him before he could do any real damage. This is Kenshit, reminding you that no matter how much we try to keep our world safe, there will always be those who seek to destroy it. But we won't back down. Not now, not ever. We'll stand tall and fight back against these cowardly bastards who seek to spread fear and chaos wherever they go. As the world turns to the new millennium, Russian President Vladimir Putin has inked a law enshrining a fresh national anthem. The melody, a throwback to the Soviet era, is the handiwork of Alexander Vasilyevich Alexandrov. The new ditty, christened the State Anthem of the Russian Federation, is poised to become the latest earworm for the nation's schoolchildren. To delve deeper into this symphony of intrigue, we turn to our resident political correspondent, Hardiman Pesto. Happy New Year, Martin. Pesto, it's not New Year's yet. Oh, I thought it was. My mistake. Yes, your mistakes seem to be piling up these days. Well, you know what they say, Martin. To err is human. And to expose those errors is my job. I suppose it is. So, let's get to it. You're here to talk about the new Russian national anthem, correct? Yes, that's right. And you're going to tell us about the man who composed the music, Alexander Vasilyevich Alexandrov. Yes, he was a Soviet and Russian composer. And he originally composed this music for the anthem of the Soviet Union, correct? Yes, that's right. So, why is Russia using the same melody for their new national anthem? Well, I suppose they liked the melody and wanted to keep it. That's a bit lazy, don't you think? I don't know, Martin. I'm not in charge of writing the anthem. But you're here to tell us about it. Yes, I am. And you can't even tell me why they're using the same melody. I'm sorry, Martin. I don't have all the answers. That's becoming more and more apparent, Pesto. I'm doing my best, Martin. Well, your best isn't good enough. I'm sorry to hear that, Martin. Yes, well, I'm sure you are. That's all the time we have for today. Already? But we just started. Yes, and it's been a waste of time. I'll try to do better next time, Martin. I hope so, Pesto, for your sake. News bang. 
a tall glass of truth served with a side of factual fries. And now here's Polly Beep with a rundown of the day's peculiar traffic tales. Brace yourself for a cacophony of avian antics, insect invasions, and a touch of Hollywood glamour. Well, the world is a hive of activity today, with our dear old M104 experiencing a traffic biatch. A sudden swarm of insects has descended, creating a crawling chaos on the road. Motorists are advised to keep their windows shut and, if possible, don their insect repellent. In the year 2016, a Russian Defence Ministry plane, a Tupolev Tu-154, crashed into the Black Sea shortly after takeoff from Sochi International Airport, killing all 92 people on board. The Tu-154 was a widely used airliner in Russia and other countries. The Black Sea is a marginal Mediterranean sea between Europe and Asia. Sochi International Airport is a major airport located in the resort city of Sochi. The M25 is still seeing some snail-paced movement due to a gaggle of ducks that have taken up residence on the road. It's not a quack attack, but a genuine hold-up. Please be patient as these feathered friends are notoriously slow. And finally, the A12 has become a hub of activity. A film crew is shooting a new disaster movie. It's causing a few delays, but you'll get to see some spectacular explosions. Keep your eyes peeled for a few surprises and don't forget to wave if you spot a star. Until next time, remember to keep your cool, your wits and your windows closed. This is Polly Beep signing off with a squawk. 1990. Calamity Prenderville of Science Watch, delving into the world of British innovation, the World Wide Web and the enduring legacy of Tim Berners-Lee. Welcome, dear viewers, to Science Watch. Today, we're diving into the world of British innovation, where we've discovered a mind-blowing invention that's changed the way we surf the information superhighway. It's the World Wide Web, a revolutionary tool that's transformed our lives, much like the spotted dick pudding did for our taste buds. Imagine a world where you can access any information you desire, from the latest cat memes to the secrets of the universe, that's the power of the World Wide Web, a brainchild of Tim Berners-Lee, a British computer programmer who's been knighted for his services to the realm of technology. The World Wide Web is a browser, a fancy term for a software application that lets you explore the internet. It's like having a magic magnifying glass that can find anything you want, from the latest pop tunes to the secrets of the pyramids. But what makes the World Wide Web truly unique is its WYSIWYG feature. No, it's not a type of yogurt, but a fancy acronym that stands for what you see is what you get. It means that what you see on the screen is exactly what you get in the final product. It's like having a personal designer who makes sure your website looks as good as a British phone box. Sadly, the World Wide Web was discontinued in 1994, but its legacy lives on. Today, we have browsers like Google Chrome, which has over 60% of the market share, it's like the spotted dick of the browser world, a classic that never goes out of style. So next time you're browsing the web, remember to thank the British for their innovative spirit. 
Without them, we'd still be stuck in the Stone Age, using carrier pigeons to send emails. This is Calamity Prenderville from Newsbank, signing off. It... Newsbang, the truth is the new black. Introducing Sandy O'Shaughnessy, who takes us on a rollicking ride through royal history covering everything from the Norman Conquest to the coronation of the King of Jerusalem. So buckle up and enjoy the journey. Ah, and a very Merry Christmas to you all. Welcome, welcome, and thrice welcome to the royal court of Sandy O'Shaughnessy. The festive spirit is in full swing here in the Emerald Isle, and I'm delighted to have you join me for this regal rendezvous. So, grab a mince pie, pour yourself a glass of eggnog, and let's embark on another delightful journey through the annals of history. Ah. <laughs> now, let's travel back in time to the year 1066, a time when England was a land divided, or so it seemed. The Norman Conquest was in full swing, with William the Conqueror leading his army across the English Channel. After facing rebellions left and right, William finally secured his throne in 1072. And where better to mark such an occasion than Westminster Abbey? Ah, <laughs> That grand old cathedral has been the location of coronations and burials for English and British monarchs since 1066. Now that's what I call a venue with history. Ah, <laughs> But let's not linger too long in England. We have other royal tales to tell today. Jumping ahead to 1100, we find ourselves in Bethlehem. Yes, that Bethlehem, where Baldwin I was crowned King of Jerusalem. Talk about a significant location. The Church of the Nativity is not only a religious site for Christians, but also a place steeped in history and tradition. Ah, <laughs> Baldwin himself was quite the character, a successful commander during the First Crusade who married a Norman noblewoman now that's what I call a royal love story. Ah. <laughs> and speaking of royals, let's not forget our friends across the Alps. In 1046, Henry III was crowned Holy Roman Emperor by Pope Clement II, or as some might call him, Pope Clement the Reformer. This particular coronation took place at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, another iconic location with its own rich tapestry of stories. Ah. <laughs> Henry III went by many names. The Black, the Pious, even the Quarrelsome. But one thing is certain, he left his mark on history as one of Europe's most powerful rulers during his time. Ah. <laughs> as we celebrate this festive season surrounded by family and friends, let us remember that history is filled with tales of love, war, triumph and tragedy all woven together like threads on an ancient tapestry. And as we look back on these moments from centuries past, we can see how they continue to shape our world today. Ah. <laughs> so here's wishing you all a very Merry Christmas, filled with joy, laughter, and perhaps even a few historical insights along the way. Until next time, my dear listeners, see you later, alligator in a while, crocodile. Two thousand and nine. In a tragic turn of events, St Mel's Cathedral, the beacon of the Irish Midlands, 
has been reduced to ashes in a devastating fire. The cathedral, a symbol of Roman Catholic faith in Ardagh and Clonmacnoise diocese, has left Longford, the heart of the Midland region, in mourning. With a population of nearly 11,000 Longford, a bustling transportation hub is grappling with the loss of its flagship cathedral. As the community seeks answers, reporter Smithsonian Moss delves deeper into the aftermath of this heart-wrenching incident. Now at this point of the evening, we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us. Waho, Newsbang Nation! It's your girl, Smithsonian Moss, and I'm here to bring you the hottest, most scandalous, and downright dirtiest news from the world of culture. And boy, do I have a treat for you tonight. Let's take a trip down memory lane to 2009, shall we? It was the year of the swine flu, the year of the first black president, and the year of the most epic pop culture moments of all time. First up, we have the iconic Lady Gaga, who burst onto the scene with her debut album, The Fame. This woman was like a ray of sunshine in a world of darkness, a beacon of hope in a sea of despair. She was like a unicorn, farting rainbows and glitter, and we were all here for it. But let's not forget about the other pop princesses of the time. Beyoncé was still riding high on the success of her album I Am, Sasha Fierce, and Rihanna was slaying the charts with Rated R. These women were like the holy trinity of pop, and we were all blessed to witness their greatness. But it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows in 2009. No, sir. We also had our fair share of scandals and drama. Remember when Chris Brown beat the living daylights out of Rihanna? Like, seriously, what the actual fuck? That was some messed up shit, and we were all shook to our core. And let's not forget about the Kanye West and Taylor Swift debacle at the VMAs. That was like the pop culture equivalent of a dumpster fire. But you know what? We loved every fucking second of it. So there you have it, Newsbang Nation. 2009 was a wild ride, and we're all still here, living to tell the tale. So let's raise a glass to the past and all the epic moments that have shaped our culture. And remember... Stay fierce, stay fabulous, and always, always, always stay true to yourself. Waho! This is Smithsonian Moss signing off. Peace out, motherfuckers. News bang. A sledgehammer to crack the nut of news. All right, here's the lowdown on tomorrow's papers. The Times... Washington wins war, becomes president. There's a picture there of a man in a wig. The Express, Battle of Chickasaw Bayou, the South wins again. There's a picture there of a man in a hat. The Mail, Scharnhorst sunk in Arctic war. There's a picture there of a ship in the sea. The Sun, Trenton triumph, Washington's wild ride. There's a picture there of a man on a horse. And finally, the Mirror, Vicksburg, the city of three engineers. There's a picture there of a man with a spanner. And that's it from us tonight. Remember, if you don't like the news, go and make some of your own. Good night. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>